Friends, when you put your faith in Jesus, you need to understand your sins are a lot farther away from you than you think. If Jesus is your savior, you've been restored to the king forever. Welcome to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Katsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. Today we get to part two of a message from Pastor Nick called Jesus Died for Us in a series called Two Ways to Live. And there really are just two ways to live. I'm super excited about this series, Pastor, because it gets to the fundamentals of our faith, right? Yeah, it does. And I think when you begin to understand how God interacts with the world, And you hear the messages of the culture, which say there are many different ways you could live. And in one sense, that's true. There are many different preferences that you can have and and many different avenues that you can pursue. But when it comes to the most important thing, how God interacts with the world and how you interact with God, there are only two ways to live. And that's what the Bible teaches us. Well, imagine the person saying, listen, I prayed the prayer. So, you know, why do we need to go over this again? Why is it important for us to review the gospel with this much specificity? It's important, Brian, because so many of us forget parts of the gospel. We cling to some parts and we forget other parts. But you know, and I know that if you tell a story, but you leave out an important part, you're not telling the whole story and you're not applying the implications of that whole story to yourself. And so that's what we want with the gospel. We want to understand the whole gospel and have all of the implications of it motivate us to follow the Lord in a certain way. And we want to be able to accurately communicate that gospel to other people. More often than not, when I ask somebody when the last time they shared their faith was, they say, it's been a long time. And the biggest obstacle is one of two things. Either they're just too scared of the reaction of the other person. Or number two, they don't know what to say. They don't know how to communicate the gospel clearly. And so this series is a training tool in that way for the good of ourselves and for the good of those that we know and love that we can communicate clearly. Well, we continue on in the series now with part two of a message called Jesus Died for Us. Because in Romans chapter three, Paul is talking about justice and he's talking about God's need to uphold his righteousness. Remember, the problem is this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God, the king of the universe, appears to have allowed this rebellion to happen for centuries without bringing about justice. And if that's true, and if God's justice is the other side of the coin to his righteousness, is God actually a righteous God? That's what verse 25 means when it says, God, in his divine forbearance, had passed over former sins. Former sins can't be passed over if God is to maintain his righteousness. They have to be reckoned with. If God is going to be holy and righteous and just, judgment needs to occur. And yet, those who had died had not received their full judgment. But then it goes on to say that God sent Jesus to die for us because he loves us. 
And this satisfies this need for justice in three specific ways. And this is really important. I thought long and hard about how and what I wanted to talk about this morning with regard to Jesus dying for us. And it's really important that you know why Jesus dying for us is effective for your salvation. That's not just merely an act of love, though it is. But it does something. And this is what it does. The first way that his death satisfies God's justice is through substitution. Now, you know, a substitute is a person or a thing that takes the place of another. And as we know, there are bad substitutes and there are good substitutes. I can't believe it's not butter is a bad substitute for a lot of reasons, but the biggest reason is because we can believe it. We can believe it's not butter when we taste it. It's not a good substitute. But when an imperfect rebel like you and like me has a substitute to take our place in judgment, then this is a good substitute for us. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus is fully man and fully God. We see that proclaimed again and again. And in his humanity, he followed God perfectly. He followed his rule and reign of the king. He never once defied him, rebelled against him, or sinned. And as fully God, he was not some mere distant third party to step in and to take the penalty for you or for me. In fact, he is God. And as a result, we see that him taking the punishment is God himself taking the punishment of sin upon himself as the perfect substitute. This language of substitution is everywhere in the Bible. If Jesus is nothing, he is certainly a substitute. Romans 5.8, we just read it a minute ago. Listen to this substitution language. Christ died, but he didn't just die. He died for us. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Isaiah 53 Hundreds of years before Jesus came, the Lord has laid iniquity on us all. Isaiah 53, 12, he bore the sin of many. John 1, 29, John calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, not his sin, but the sin of the world. We see in 2 Corinthians 5, God made Christ to be sin, even though he was perfect. Galatians 3.13, Christ became a curse for us. Again, Hebrews 9.28, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. In 1 Peter 2.24, Peter, Peter says that he himself bore our sins in his body. Our sins, his body on the tree. Jesus was the perfect substitute. The second way that Jesus satisfies God's justice on the cross is through 
what we call expiation. Now, that is a word that I am quite certain you've never used in everyday speech. It's not hard to understand. Expiation. X, the prefix X, very simply means out of. Expiation has to do with the removal of something or taking something out, taking something away. And in this case, it is the removal of our guilt. Expiation is another way to express the fact that Jesus atones for our sins. He takes our sins away from us and he puts it on himself. The Old Testament paints the picture of this wonderful forgiveness, this removal of sin that's related to God's love. It's profound in its effect, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12, it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It's a beautiful picture. As far as the east is from the west, the farthest possible distance in our finite conception, that's how far God removes sin from us. That's expiation, the removal of sin and guilt. And the third way that Jesus satisfies God's justice is this word that we see in a number of different Bible texts. It's another word we never use, propitiation. If X means out of something, then pro means for something. God's wrath is turned away from us and turned toward Jesus on the cross as he bears the guilt and the sin. God goes then from being at enmity with us to being for us. This morning we sang a song about God being for us. How do you know God is for you? Because of the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the only way you can know that God is for you. Think about it this way. That through this idea of Jesus on the cross, God's wrath is appeased. Now, when you think of appeasement, you might think of that in a marital sense. We're not going to go there. You might think of it in a political sense. There is a doctrine, a political doctrine of appeasement. Every few years, it seems like the dictator of North Korea makes some international threats, right? And then he pops off a test missile into the middle of the ocean to do a little bit of saber rattling. And in an effort and with a desire to not let this guy start another war, the Western nations kind of come around and they appease him. They get him to back down and they do so by offering something of value, usually foreign aid to his country. And as a result, he settles down for a while until he needs something else. It was the doctrine of appeasement that many European nations enacted with regard to Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Reich hoping that they could get them to stop their advance through Europe. Sometimes appeasement works. Sometimes it doesn't work. But in both of those examples, this is not the type of godly manifestation of appeasement that we're talking about here. 
Because if wrath is truly appeased, that means it is satisfied. It means that the anger that divided the relationship no longer exists. It's not going to only come back around a couple of years later. It means it is dealt with and gone forever. And as a result, the relationship is mended. Jesus is the propitiation for us. He satisfies the wrath of God. 1 John 2, 2 says this. It says that he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for us, to mend the relationship. Romans 3.25, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And so you're starting to see the distinction. The component parts of what Jesus did on the cross all together create something incredible, but individually are important to understand. Guilt can be removed. But if guilt, if it's only guilt that is removed, the offended party could still have wrath for things previously committed. And even if I'm presently declared righteous, my past sin and rebellion carries with it a debt or a penalty that needs to be paid. And the relationship can be presently ruptured, even though I'm presently righteous. That is what expiation and propitiation together accomplish. Guilt is removed, his death on the cross in our place, and the wrath is satisfied or paid for in such a way that it never comes up again, and you, for the rest of your days and all of eternity, can be in a relationship with the king again. God sent his son to die for us because he loves us. And there was only one person that could do that. Jesus can both satisfy the demands of justice that the rebel sinners deserve, and he can display God's love on those rebel sinners who God created. In both Romans 5 and Romans 3, you can see how access to this forgiveness, rooted in love and justice, access to this forgiveness is not difficult to obtain. It comes by faith. It's faith that we confess to God that we're guilty of our sin and our rebellion against him as king. It's by faith that we trust Jesus is indeed his perfect son. It's by faith that you reach out to him and you ask for forgiveness that he offers you. Not everyone puts their faith in him. But for those who do, they are reconciled to the king and they're able to live under his reign forever. You can never be reconciled to the king if you simply just try to reconcile yourself. 
You need someone who can remove guilt and you need someone who can satisfy wrath. Jesus does that. When he does and when you trust in him with your faith, you can live in joy and confidence under the reign of the king. Your past sins have been removed. Your present sins have been removed. The sins that you have not even yet committed have been expiated. They've been removed. No more guilt, no more shame, no more insecurities waiting to see if God will somehow reject you on the final day. Friends, when you put your faith in Jesus, you need to understand your sins are a lot farther away from you than you think. And that's incredibly freeing. You might not feel like they're far. And yet, you're incredibly relieved when you realize that this is precisely the work of Jesus on the cross. So how do you reckon with that removal of sin while at the same time struggling with your sins currently, even this week? How can Jesus say it is finished? I don't need to die again for sin while at the same time you wrestling with your own sin. There's a Latin phrase that the German reformer Martin Luther used to describe this reality. The phrase is simul justus et peccator, which means simultaneously justified and sinner. While we're in the body, we struggle with sin but we have confidence that we are justified. Remember what justified is? We're declared righteous before God. Through faith in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, simultaneously justified and sinner. Friends, it's refreshing to think that in Christ, I don't live under the yoke of condemnation. When you go through your days when you put your head on the pillow at night, when you replay the things that would deserve judgment or require condemnation, that you don't live under that yoke if Jesus is your Savior. You've been restored to the King forever. So I still struggle. I still struggle with sinful rebellion but through faith in Christ, that sin has been paid for. I have struggled in my life with pride, but it's paid for on the cross. I will struggle at some point, sometime, somewhere with envy. That sin has been paid for on the cross. I struggle with not loving God with my whole heart, but the wrath that that deserves has been satisfied on the cross. I have said words that are sinful, that reveal something about my heart, whether they're in joking or in anger or in slander. But Jesus has taken that guilt away from me on the cross. I will sin in some way against my own children, which is a terrible feeling. But the sin has been removed from me as far as the east is from the west on the cross. I have struggled with self-sufficiency, 
But that sin has been blotted out and taken away on the cross. I sometimes have sinful anger, but Jesus took that to the cross. I will have sinful doubts as I go through my days, but I will stand before God and no accusation of Satan will stick as I march confidently toward the day of judgment. Because when the book is opened and the deeds are read and I grieve deeply the sins and my own rebellion against our king, despite how deep that grief is, I will have an infinitely greater joy because I know in whom I have believed and through his work on the cross, the sins have been removed. The wrath has been satisfied. The justice has been served. The penalty has been paid and I will enter glory to be with him forever. And you can too. God sent Jesus to die for us because he loves us. Do you have faith in him? He offers this forgiveness to you. Do your loved ones have faith in him? He offers this forgiveness to them, and he might offer it to them even through your very words as you share the story of a king and a rebellion and a judgment and a love. You need but take it in faith. And when you do, you walk through the rest of your days with an incredible freedom, knowing that you've been restored to the king. Perhaps you've heard the account of the farmer when his sheep and his pig had escaped. Together they had found the weak rail in the fence and they had pressed upon it until it broke under their weight. Seeing their opportunity, they quickly bolted from the field and began to explore their new and unfamiliar surroundings. It didn't take long for the farmer to realize that two of his animals were missing, and so he set out to find them. But the animals had wandered and had not left much of a trail behind them. Day turned to night, and after resting fitfully, he resumed his search in the morning. The animals had now been gone for more than 24 hours, and he began to wonder what could have possibly happened to them. It was in the afternoon of the second day that he began to hear a distant bleeding, the sound of his sheep crying out. He began to follow that sound as it led to the nearby bog, and there he found his missing sheep and his missing pig. Both had fallen into a deep ditch. Both had become coated with muck. Both were unable to scramble out. But where the pig was content to wallow in the mud, the sheep had known to bleat pathetically until the farmer had come to rescue it, to lift it out, and to cleanse it. And then the farmer said, if you are ever deceived into sin and overtaken by weakness, don't lose heart. Go at once to your compassionate Savior, tell him in the simplest words the story of your fall 
your rebellion and the sorrow that you feel. Ask him to wash you at once and to restore your soul. For if a sheep and a sow fall into a ditch, the sow wallows in it, but the sheep bleats pathetically until she is cleansed by her master. Be the sheep, my friends, not the pig. There are two ways to live, just two. Under the rule and the reign of the king or under the rule and the reign of yourself. God sent Jesus to die for us because he loves us and allows us to live under his rule again. You've been listening to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky. For more information about this ministry, maybe you want to drop by and find some previous messages or learn more about us, just go to abetterword.org. Again, abetterword.org. Now, I'm going to yank Pastor Nick back in the studio here as we have an opportunity for you to get a gift with your gift to A Better Word this month. It's David Gibson's book, Living Life Backward. It's all in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, living life backwards. I mean, Christians aren't supposed to be backwards, are we? In some way we are. I mean, the premise of the book is that we want to live our life in view of the end, the end of our life. And if we start with the idea that this is the person I want to be at the end, that helps us make the decisions in the middle. And why is that important? Well, it's important because it gives us urgency about the right things and a lack of urgency about the less important things. It helps us to prioritize our relationships. It helps us to find meaning and joy in the things that truly matter the most instead of things that are fleeting. And it constitutes wisdom. The psalmist says, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we would have the heart of wisdom. And I think David does a really nice job of helping us to think about that. And you can dig in deeper to this concept and this resource with your gift this month to A Better Word. Go to abetterword.org. Get your gift in today, and we'll send you a copy of David Gibson's book, Living Life Backward. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.